So we are continuing our series on 2 Timothy. And as a review, um, like, like we said last week, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. This is the last letter that Paul will ever write. Right? And he's, he's writing this letter to Timothy because soon after the writing of this letter, Paul will be beheaded in Rome. So it was a matter of time before he dies. So he, as his last letter, he wrote to the church. He wrote to Timothy. And the purpose of this letter is Paul is asking Timothy, telling Timothy, telling, exhorting Timothy to not lose the faith. To not lose the faith. Even though things are very difficult for him. Right? Even though there's a citywide persecution of Christians. Christians are dying for their faith. Even though Paul's death is imminent and Timothy, you know, he, Paul was such a huge influence and huge influence in Timothy's life and the fact that he's going to die, that could really discourage Timothy. Paul says, the fact that I'm dying and the fact that the false teachers are dividing the church, these things are making your situation very difficult, Timothy. But, but in, the, in, the, in the light of all this thing happening, Timothy, Paul says, do not give up your faith, which is a very tempting thing to do. Paul is not only telling Timothy not to give up his faith, but Paul is also, through these verses that we read today, Paul is telling Timothy not to lose passion and zeal for the, mess, for, for, for the message that God has entrusted to you, which is the preaching of the gospel. Verse 6, Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The word fan into flame means be zealous. Right? Do not let your spiritual flame flame out. Keep your passion, right? Flame, fan the flame means do not lose your passion. Passion for what? For exercising the gift of God. What is the gift of God? The gift of God that Paul mentions here is teaching and preaching of the gospel. Paul is saying, I know, Timothy, your world is falling apart. Rome is trying to kill you. I'm about to die. The church is a mess. But do not lose your passion for preaching the gospel, which is in you through the laying of my hands. Laying of my hands means it's during Timothy's commissioning service. When Timothy was commissioned to be sent out to be the teacher and preacher of God's word, the elders of the church, including Paul, laid his hand on Timothy to commission him to be the preacher and teacher of God's word. So Timothy, Paul says, God gave you the gift of the gospel to preach it and teach it, and you receive that commission when I lay my hands on you. Do not lose your passion for the gospel. Be faithful in the preaching and teaching of the gospel. But you know what, guys? It's very tempting for preachers to lose the passion for the gospel. I was driving 
as I do, and I was listening to Joe Olstein, right? And I was listening to his sermons, and I go, why is he so popular? And, and, and he's popular because he's not a charlatan. He's not a guy who says, if you don't give me, God wants, wants you to buy me a G4 jet. He's not that guy. But he's popular because he's giving his congregation what they really want to hear, which is, life is really hard here. It really is. Right? It really is, guys, isn't it? We have health issues. Trust me, the older you become, the more health issues you, you have. You have relationship issues. Marriages aren't going well. Friendships aren't going well. Boyfriend and girlfriend situations aren't going well. You have work situation issues. You have parents' issues. Your parents are growing older, so you need to take care of them, but it's a lot of burden. And you have children issues. Your kids are not, you know, your kids have issues, right? You don't know how to manage a teenager. You don't know how to manage these little kids. And life is just hard. And we want to hear, maybe I want to hear, maybe that's why I'm listening to Joe Olstein the whole time. I want to hear God say, someone say, a preacher say, it's going to be okay. God's going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. That's what you want to hear. That's what I want to hear. And Joe Austin knows this. And, it is, and he, is, he isn't being manipulative. I think he genuinely loves his congregation. Then rather than preaching the gospel, out of his love for his congregation, he's telling them, it's going to be okay. That's what his sermon all is, basically. It's going to be okay. But that's losing his passion for the gospel. Look, the church I was here before, there was a pastor, the, 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 the pastor of that church. Every sermon, I think Wednesday's sermon was amazing, but on Sunday sermons, he's, he's like preaching similar things, right? He's telling his congregation every Sunday, God's going to take care of you. I know your life is hard. God's going to take care of you. And someone asked him, why do you preach like that on Sundays? Why do you not give him the gospel on Sundays? Why do you preach like that on Sundays? And he says, it's because my congregation are Korean immigrants. And Korean immigrants live hard lives. A lot of your parents live hard lives here. They're in a country where they don't, where they don't speak the language. They don't understand the culture. And outside from the Korean community, they're invisible. And they don't have the fanciest of jobs like y'all, right? They don't have the fanciest of jobs like y'all. They're almost invisible minorities of society. And their only hope is you guys, is for you guys to do well. So because that pastor understands the hardship of the immigrant community, he would much rather, not much rather, but he would most of the time, focus on the message that God is going to take care of you. 
that God's going to take care of your kids. He's not doing it out of a harsh place, but a loving place. But that loving place, as understandably as, as why you would do it, I, as, even though I understand why he's doing it, you're not really preaching the gospel. Because to guys like that pastor and Joe Alstein, telling the people you'll be okay is just as important as the gospel. But Paul's saying, no, it isn't. There is no other message more important than the gospel. Because it is only the gospel that would change someone's life. And that will give spiritual life. As much as we want to tell you, you be okay, you be okay sermons will not give you a new life. Only the gospel can. Preachers not only are tempted to lose a passion for the gospel, preachers are, because of their love for the congregation, preachers are tempted to lose the confidence of the gospel because there are visible social political issues of the day. So right now, since 2020, there are a lot of social unrest in America. And pastors think taking a stance on social positions is just as important as teaching the people the gospel. So people in the red states are preaching, you've got to take back America, right? Conservative values, take, up, take back America. They're preaching, let's take back America for conservative value sermons. In the blue states, like where we are right now, we're we're preaching less end racism sermons. There are preachers in blue states that tell the congregation, you guys are implicitly racist because you're white. Sorry, Sean Stark, right? You You guys are implicitly racist because you're white. That's what a lot of blue church pastors are saying. So it is the church's job to somehow address racism. Is it the church's job to bring back culture for Jesus? Or is it the church's job to end racism? They will say both issues are gospel issues, they say. But even though they say such things, the emphasis is not on gospel. The emphasis is what we can do for Jesus Christ. You see? How tempting it is for pastors to lose the passion for the gospel. We're tempted to preach something else. We're always tempted to preach something else. And maybe we're tempted to preach something else because we're not really convinced that the gospel is true or powerful. Maybe the reason why so many pastors would rather preach other things is because they don't know the true life-saving power of the gospel. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, there are false teachers out there that that teach nonsense. You do not follow them. You do not lose your passion for the gospel. Verse 8, Paul says, not only do you not lose the passion for the gospel. Paul says in verse 8, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be embarrassed by the gospel. Do not be embarrassed about the testimony of our Lord Jesus, and do not be ashamed of me, his messenger. 
testimony of the Lord Jesus is the gospel. Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison because of the gospel. So in verse 8, Paul is telling Timothy, do not be embarrassed of the gospel. It is very tempting to be embarrassed by the gospel. You know why? Because the, the gospel message is this. You and I are such horrible, wretched sinners that it took that only, it can only take the death of God himself to clean you and redeem you and to make you right. There's something so wrong about us. There's something so deeply flawed and broken and evil about us that can only take God and his death to cleanse you and to make you right. We are wrong, and it took the death of God. It can only take the death of God to make you right. The gospel message must talk about sin. But in this culture, talking about sin is embarrassing because don't, people don't believe in sin. People believe you're psychologically flawed. People believe that my parents messed me up. People believe social media messed me up. People believe the video games messed me up. People believe Disney movies messed me up. But people believe I'm naturally a-okay. And don't tell me I'm a sinner. And it is very easy for preachers to be embarrassed of the gospel because the gospel says you are a sinner who needs grace. That's why a lot of preachers, they don't really talk about sin very much. My wife's old pastor, not this new pastor, my wife's old pastor, he doesn't talk about sin at all. And someone says, why don't you talk about sin? And he says, I don't want, you to I don't want them to feel bad. Someone asked Joe Olsen, Joe Olsen, why don't you talk about, oh, this is an interview, by the way, look it up. Joe Olsen, why don't you talk about sin? Joe Olsen says, because I don't want people to feel bad. I'm embarrassed to point out people's sin. But if you don't point people's sin, then why would, they, why would they see the need for a savior? You understand? If your gospel is God loves you, period, how is that the gospel? Doug, Douglas Wilson is a theologian, pastor theologian. Who, practice, who, who lives in Moscow, Idaho. And I saw an interview with him yesterday, and he, this is what he said. He says, soft preaching results in hardened hearts. Hard preaching results in softened hearts. Hard, hard preaching means preaching that talks about people's sins and their need for redemption. He says, if you do not preach hard, hard sermons, if you preach soft sermons, like, God's going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. God loves you anyway. As pleasing as that is to your ears, it will only produce a hardened heart because you will not see the need for a Messiah. But if you preach a hard sermon, that points out the need, your need, and my need for a Messiah. Day in and day out, 
it will result in a softened heart for Christ. It is very tempting to be embarrassed by the gospel. Paul says, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel. The Greek philosophers will laugh at you. The Roman governors will, will, will try to kill you. Even your church members will think that your teaching is boring and irrelevant. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. Then what exactly is the gospel that Paul is, to, Paul is telling Timothy not to be ashamed of? That is where verse 9 comes in. Verse 9. He's talking about Jesus. Okay, let's start in verse 8. Verse 8. But latter part of verse 8, but share in the suffering of the but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. The gospel, Paul says, is about God saving us and calling us to a holy life. We're going back to the gospel again, kids. So my job is to tell you the gospel in many different ways so that you will have a complete, comprehensive understanding of the gospel. So let's go back to the gospel. Paul says the gospel is God saving you. What is God rescuing you from? He's rescuing you from, you and me, from sin. Question is, then what is sin? We talked about a couple of weeks ago. Sin means missing the goal, missing the mark, Missing the design, missing the target, missing your purpose, right? If a football field goaler misses a three-point field goal, if they miss it, he's missing the mark, right? If a basketball player missed the layup or a three-point shot, he's missing the mark. He's missing the purpose of him being there, which is to score. Sin is we are missing the mark. We are missing the purpose of our design, which is to love and honor God and love and honor other people. That's the design. Every human being is designed with that two particular purpose, to recognize the awesomeness of God and to give praise to him and follow him and live under him, to live under the awesomeness of God. Once again, our design is to live under the amazing awesomeness of God and praise him and follow him and trust him. And our design is also to love, honor, respect other people who are made in the image of God. But a power of sin is, is a mentality that says, that is not my design. Even though God has created me that way, that is not my design. I'm not made for that. Nope, that's not for me. No, thank you. My design is whatever I want to whatever I want to do. That's right. That's my design. That's my purpose. Saying no to God's purposes and saying yes to my imagination. That's the power of sin. But you know what happens if you. Choose, follow your own design rather than God's design. You become spiritually dead. A person that does not recognize God's design 
And rather than following these vices of our own hearts, we become spiritually dead. What is a spiritually dead person? A spiritually dead person is a person who does not, who cannot respond to God. They have a hardened heart. Spiritually dead person, if you ignore God's design, choose your own way, your spirit becomes dead. A dead spirit means you have a hardened heart. Hardened heart means no matter what God does to you, you will not be able to respond to him. I'll give you an example. The sermon of my life, right? The best sermon I ever preached, in my opinion. Did not happen here. I'm so sorry. It happened in my church before this. Right? It was a 1.30 a.m. service. I was preaching out of Philippians 2, and I was just going at it with about the sack glory of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his love for the sinner. I was going, oh, something was in me, man. I was going at it. And I was crying, and people were crying. It was a flood show. And after the sermon, a girl came up to me who was raised, raised in church all her life. She came up to me and said, I wanted to cry like the other people, but I couldn't cry. Why couldn't I cry, she asked me. And I said, that was nice. And I go, I don't know. Let's pray about this. And maybe she didn't cry because my sermon wasn't that good. Nah. But maybe the testimony of Jesus, about Jesus Christ did not move her because her heart is hardened. And she's unable to respond. It is a very important thing for us to understand this morning. Are you able to respond to God? Or is your heart hardened? And do not hide under the excuse, I'm too busy to spend time with God. That's just an excuse, right? Let's just be honest here. I'm, I'm, I'm not diminishing your busy schedule. We're all busy, right? But is the issue your busy schedule? Or is the issue that you are unable to respond to him? A person who's spiritually dead is unable to respond to God. And you know what happens if you're unable to respond to God? Your mind becomes darkened. And your emotions become out of control. And your relationships with other people begin to, begin, to, begin to be argumentative and unpleasant. Your mind becomes discombobulated. Look, I was at Arlington Small Group on Friday. We talked about the loser syndrome. The number one plague, I think, is the thought that plagues most of us is that we think in our heart of hearts that we're losers. We don't measure up. 
right? And we spend our entire lives trying to prove that we do measure up. And you tell me, no, I don't. I have a very healthy self-esteem. Like I went to New York a couple of years last year and I was walking down the street, like on like, I don't know, Fifth Avenue or something. And I heard this girl saying to the other girl, I'm, 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 I have such a healthy love for myself. I feel bad that people don't love themselves. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have a really high love for yourself. Let's try an exercise, shall we? If I tell you about your job, that's your job? Really? That's what you do for a living? That's your salary? That's how much you make? That's your car? How about your kids? Your kids get what grade? Where did you go to school? What, where did you go to school? What do your parents do? What do you look, what, that's what you look, that's how much you weigh? It will break you, won't it? You know why it will break you? Because if you leave God out of your mind, then you have to erect a standard in your head that you need to, you, have, you erect a standard in your head that you judge yourself and other people by. When you leave God out, when your heart is hard, you leave God out, you are dominated and ruled and controlled by the standard that you erect in your head, which is partly influenced by the world, by the way. And you see yourself under that light every day. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not successful enough. My kids are not successful enough. My son goes to UVA. I go to Thanksgiving. Their kids go to Yale and UPenn. So embarrassing. You see? That's what a hardened heart does. It elects a standard in your mind that is frivolous, unimportant, unrealistic. But you think it's real. Darken, hardened hearts. You know what a hardened heart also do? It makes you do things that is quite destructive. You do things that are quite destructive, you know? And you, don't, and you cannot stop not doing things that are hurting you. It's crazy. Look, so I was listening to a Korean Christian station. One of the benefits of being bilingual is I can listen to Korean Christian station. And there was a testimony about a pastor in Korea. His wife had an affair with a praise leader. Okay? And the crazy thing about it is, the wife and the praise leader says, I don't know what God's will for us is. So let us go to Sebekido, early morning prayer. And we want to pray to God, God, what is your will for us? Really? You need prayers for that? This is an extreme example of what plagues all of us. We're attracted to things that are hurting us, 
that is not good for us, that is damaging to us and to other people, and yet we do not know they are damaging. And we do it all the time. Hardened hearts makes you unforgiving and hateful and spiteful over the slightest of transgression. Sometimes I listen to people, not anyone here, okay? I listen to people and they say, PJ, I want to leave the church. I go, okay, why do you want to leave the church? Because of this and this and this person. Okay, what if this and this person did to you? And I listen to them and I go, that's it? That's what you want to leave? Do they insult your mom? Spit on your kids or something? What? Hardened hearts makes us unrelentingly <laughs> vicious and judgmental, unforgiving of the slightest transgression against us. That is the hardened heart of a spiritually dead person who does not know God. And Paul says, God is saving you out of this condition. He's saving you out of this condition and into what condition? Into a holy life. That's what verse 9 says, right? God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. The word holy here means separate. There are all the other people. There's people in the world, but God has taken you out of all the people in the world and gave you a separate holy calling. What is the holy calling? The holy calling is to live with him. It is to live with him in obedience. It is to live with him in all areas of your life. He has taken you out of sin and into a holy calling where you live under the truth of God, where you live with God. You live with God when you analyze who you are. You live with God when you work. You live with God in your relationships. You live with God in everything. There's a consideration of God in everything that you do. That's the holy calling that he has called in you. He has taken you out of a life that is where God is invisible to a life where God is visible. Not physically, but visibly present in your life. That's the calling. Guys, my goodness. Because, because of this position, I am just, Satan is going all at it at me sometimes. Especially, he tempted me not to pray. My gosh, from the last couple of months, he has tempted me not to pray, and he's throwing everything at me not to pray. And when I give in to those temptations and not pray for a few days, well, not a week, man, I'm not a sinner, right? But when I don't pray for a couple of days, right? You know, what, you know what I find? I'm just fascinated by how the dark places in my mind goes when I don't pray. When I do not fellowship with him on a regular basis, I'm absolutely astonished the thoughts that invade my mind. Oh my goodness. Holy calling is not leaving you alone with your own ideas, but living under and, and analyzing your ideas in the, through the lens of God. You do that in your workplace. 
You do that in your relationship with your family. You do that with your relationship with your kids. You do that with your relationship with your wife. You do that with everything. And when you do that, you experience the freedom and the joy and the life that comes from it. You really will. That's what Christianity is. It's to live under the reality of God. It is not to be hardened where, you, where God is not a consideration, but it is to live under the reality where everything you live under him. And there's so much life that happens when you do that. Paul says, you are able to be transferred from sin into a holy calling. Not of your own works. You cannot transfer yourself from one position to another. But it is the purpose and the grace of God. It is the purpose and the grace of God to transfer you from one one condition to another condition. That's God's grace. His grace is not to make you life pleasant in this world. His grace is to transition you from a hardened state into a softened state towards him. That's his grace. And Paul says, God has planted the plan this. In verse 9, before the ages, before the ages began. God's grace of transiting us from a sinful state into a holy calling. That was his design for his people even before time and space began. The miracle the scientists and physicists cannot prove is the Big Bang. 13.8 billion years ago, in a matter of seconds, there was nothing, but there was everything. In a matter of seconds, from nothing, there was everything. And the scientists, physicists are trying to say, what happened before the Big Bang? And they do not know. Paul is saying, even before the Big Bang, God had a design and God had a purpose. And that design and purpose is, for, is to transfer his people from the state of sin into holy calling. That was his intent even before he created everything. That was his plan for his people. And that plan was executed, was implemented when Jesus Christ came into the world 2,000 years ago. Verse 10, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of Christ Jesus, who abolished then and brought life and immortality. Jesus came. He, he paid for the sins that we cannot pay for. And he gave, gave us a life that we cannot, we cannot generate on our own. Like I said before, your sin and my sins, you cannot pay for the sins that you commit. You cannot. The damage that your sin wrought, you cannot, pay, you cannot make it right. It took death of Jesus Christ to, make that, to pay the price for that sin. And because Jesus resurrected from the death to life, that life, that new life that he has, he gives it to you. And that new life is life with God. Did I go too quickly? When Jesus Christ raised from the dead, he had new life, right? That life, that new life is a life that he gives to his people, and that new life is a life with God. 
So the gift of Jesus Christ is that he gives you the life with God. Paul says, that's God's intent, that's God's design, that's God's purpose, even before the foundation of the earth. And if God loves you, that is what he's doing for you. Transitioning into a hardened heart, into a heart of flesh. Paul says, this is a message that I suffer for. This is a message that I die for. Question. Do you think Paul would have died for a message that says God loves you and he'll make your life good in this world? Do you think Paul would have died for that message? Do you think Paul would have died for the message if you believe in God? You're not going to face any pain that your kids are going to be successful. Do you think he died for that message? He was willing to die for the message? Do you think Paul died for the message that says, God just cares about you being religiously compliant? Do you think Paul would die for a message that says, God doesn't care how you live. He just wants you to be religiously compliant. Do you think Paul would have died for that message? Would you die for that message? No. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message. Paul says, it is worthy of my suffering. It is worthy of my death. Because it is the only thing that can change a sinner's life, sinner into a, a saint. It is the only thing that can take a hardened heart and make it soft for God. Do you know the gospel this way? Are, is your faith the type of faith that Paul gladly gave his life for? Or is your type of faith that Paul would not really feel comfortable giving his life for? You know? It's hard. Timothy, but you got to do it. Because that's the only message, this is the only message worth preaching and worth dying for. But Timothy, don't, don't be dismayed. For even though it's hard, God does not leave you alone. Verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Timothy, it's going to be hard. Not only Timothy, preachers of the gospel, every Christian who, does the, who serves the gospel in whatever capacity, as a preacher, as a deacon, as a praise band leader, people who work for the gospel, be encouraged. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and self-control. What does the word power mean? The word power here means dunamis, and the word dunamis mean is where we get dynamite. 
It is an explosive power. It is dynamic energy ability power. When we are, when we believe in Christ, when we have new life, we have new life because the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same power that changes us from, 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 from a sinful mind into a righteous person. If you're a Christian, you're, you're experiencing, you have experienced God's power. But Paul is saying that power that resurrected Jesus Christ, that power that made your faith genuine, is a power that still remains with you, Timothy. And if you're faithfully preaching God's word, if you're faithfully serving him, he will give you the power to do your work, and he will use your preaching to change people's lives. You, do not, you are not doing this alone, Timothy. You are doing this with the power of God. If you are serving God in his capacity for the gospel, he will give you the power to do what you need to do, and he will give you the power to effect change. Timothy, serve the gospel, and you will experience the power of God. Timothy, serve the gospel, and God will give you the power of love. As you serve God, you will grow in your love for God. He will give you a love that is growing. He will, God will give you the love where you will grow in your love for God. And when you serve God, he will give you the love where you will start to grow in the love for other people. Timothy, it is impossible for you to love God on your own. But if you serve God, he will give you the love that is needed to love God and to love other people. And Timothy, if you serve God, he will give you a mind of self-control. Self-control is a mind that is clear, the mind that to see what is clearly right and wrong, and a mind that chooses right over wrong. That's self-control. Timothy, if you serve God in the gospel, he will give you the power and the love and self-control. You experience these things as you serve him. My friends, do you want to experience the power of God in your life? Do you want to grow in your love for God and love for other people? Do you want God to influence your mind so that you'll be more self-controlled? The condition is that you have to start, you have to strive to serve him. He is not, Paul is not promising this to every Christian. He is not promising this to a spectator Christian. He is promising this to a person who strives to obey God in the, in, in, in the ministry of the gospel. Listen. The reason why consumer Christianity, going to big churches, doing the service, and leaving, as comfortable and convenient as that you might think that is, I think it is a very dangerous thing. Because if you're just merely consuming content, you will not experience the real-life power of God. You won't. You will not grow in your love for God and love for other people. You won't. And you won't have a clear mind. Because these things 
are reserved for people who strive to obey him in the ministry of the gospel. Every Christian has a ministry. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. And it is in the exercise of that gift for the sake of the gospel that God promises these things too. If you're just sitting there, consuming, how would you experience any of this? And we see it in our church too, right? For guys who have led small group, I promise you, for people who have led small group in the past, let, let me ask you, wasn't God more present in your life during that time than he is when you weren't? Wasn't the love of God more real to you when you were serving him in small group than you weren't? Didn't you have a growing love for other people and the love for the word when you were serving him than when you weren't, than when you were comfortable? And this isn't my, me telling you to serve God. This is me telling you the way that you experience God is the service of the gospel. You will not experience this reality just by singing kumbaya songs. And listening to Joe Osteen. Paul has promised Timothy this. And Paul has promised us this. Do not be afraid of the, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be, lose your passion for the gospel. Do not lose your passion for serving the gospel. So this week. Ask yourself, is your heart hardened for God, against God, or is your heart soft? Is your heart a heart of stone or a heart of flesh? Do you understand the gospel like I described it to you? Is that you? Are you living under the reality of God on a daily basis? Are you serving him? If your heart is hardened, and if you're not experiencing this, if he's not a dynamic power in your life, then maybe you need to understand the gospel more. And the way you understand the gospel more, maybe this year, just focus on your understanding of Christ and serve him so that he will make your heart soft for him. Let's pray. The question we ask ourselves is this. Do you understand the gospel?